0: Good evening, it's so good to be here again, I was just, just telling to some of you, I can't believe that it has been a year, almost a year, I was here in November when we spoke and I hope you still remember what we spoke of last time, uh, as we we opened last time Genesis 1-2-3, uh, today we will uh, we'll continue as Bill just mentioned, this same theme, and uh, specifically uh, Headship and submission. But uh, before we begin, let's read part of God's Word from Ephesians chapter 5, very famous part, starting from verse 22 to the end of the chapter. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is truth. In a world full of lies, full of deceit, we thank you for the pure word. The word that is inspired by God himself. What a privilege to have your word in our midst, to have your word in our pulpits, to have it in our houses. Lord, we pray that we receive your word in submission, that we cherish your word, we love your word. And we pray that you would enable us by your spirit to, to listen to your promises, to rejoice in your promises, and to be enabled to live according to your word to your truth as we come to this precious word today we pray O oh lord that you would open our eyes our hearts and minds to see wonderful things in your word in the precious name of Jesus Christ we pray Amen uh, a few months ago and. Uh, there was a, a movie uh, which which made a big propaganda in the United States, and I think in other places in the world. And the movie is called "What Is a Woman." I wonder if you have seen uh, seen it or parts of it or not. Very interesting movie. It's a kind of a documentary. A lot of interviews made by uh, Matt Walsh, and answering about what is a woman, and it's amazing the answers that he received in this in this movie here he's asking people in the streets what is a woman and in this world that we live in many people are struggling to answer this simple question they don't know what is a woman scholars in universities big universities they just can't answer this they are trying to avoid answering this simple question what is what is a woman And I would say there's another question which is connected to it, and this is what we're going to speak about also today. What is a man? What is a man? Uh, And I think the best place to answer these questions in this world where people may differ, what is a man, what is a woman, is the Word of God. Because even those who who... we would think that they are conservatives or they hold to the normal definitions of men and women. Sometimes they would have misconcepts; They have bad concepts of what is a man and what is a woman. So maybe those who are in the left wing, they are are overreacting, they are trying to remove all the differences between men and women. Some people are holding to the right meanings at least superficially of what is a man and what is a woman but they are abusing what is a man and what is a woman if you come to the Middle East you'll see a lot of abuse of what is a man and what is a woman but in a different direction from here and it's interesting no matter where you go apart from the word of God these two simple questions what is a man what is a woman are being abused not only here all over the world. How can we get the right answer? And the best place is the Word of God. Apart from the Word of God, think, how would people get the answer? What makes a man a man? Or what makes a woman a woman? Social media, community, um, the movies, friends, society. And you can hear all the wrong answers about what is a man and what is a woman. We saw last time when we spoke about Genesis 1, 2, and 3, we saw that man and woman, they are both created in the image of God. That this is very simple yet very profound, that they are created in the image of God. This is their value. They are different from all other creatures. They are in the image of God. But also we saw that they are different. There are some differences between men and women, not in terms of their value, but in terms of their roles. They complete each other. Psychologists, secular psychologists, when, when they ask them, why do you think men and women fight? Why do you think there are, some, there are many struggles um, at homes?" Their answer would be, because they are different. So if you go further and ask them, how can we solve this? How can we solve the problems? Then they would say, understand your differences and try to to live with these differences or appreciate the differences. But the main reason we are fighting as men and women is that we are different. We are not thinking the same way. And they don't think this is the right answer. Definitely it's not the right answer. Because from the very beginning, from Genesis 1 and 2, Men and women were created different, and they were not fighting, right? Before the fall, there was no struggle, although they were different. Therefore, the problem is not the difference. In fact, the differences between men and women enriches the relationship. That's how God designed it, that we complete each other, not to be exactly like each other. So today I will speak particularly about these roles, about the differences between men and women, and especially the role of a man as a head, and the role of a woman in submission to the headship of the man. So I will begin with the the men. Uh, What does it mean for a man to be a head? And again... In this world, especially in the West where we live, there is a great abuse of, of this principle, headship. Uh, feminism is pushing hard that there is no difference between men and women. And if you talk now about that men should be the head of the house, should be the head of the church, they would say this is radicalism. This is fundamentalism. Uh, This is old school. This is patriarchy. This is an abuse of power. I think you have been listening to these kind of words, right? Uh, For them, this is a kind of a, a barbaric way of speaking of men and women. You do not say that man is ahead. We are equal in everything. To say that the man is ahead is just... Wrong. It's an old way. There is no difference between men and women. Uh, from more uh, a practical point of view, they would say now men, a woman can do everything a man can do, and in the house they should be similar in every way. They are making the decisions together, and in some houses maybe the woman has a better leadership skills. She can lead the house. She can be the head of the house. But if you compare this with what we just read in Ephesians, especially chapter 5, verse 25 Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. And he's comparing Christ, the man with Christ as he's the one who loved the church. And before that, in verse 23, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Christ is the head of the church, and the husband is the head of the wife. So, how can you say that the wife can be the head of the man? Well, one answer, this feminist uh, ideas would say, well, the word head, the meaning of the word head, is not necessarily uh, the one who has authority, but it means the source. The Greek word means the source. And linguistically, this is true. The head means the source. And they will go further and say, well, Adam was created first, and from Adam, the woman was created. He was just the source of her, but they are equal in everything. This is the meaning of head, simply. And then you go further and say, what about Christ? Christ is the head of the church. What does it mean for Christ to be the head of the church? Because Paul is making a comparison here between the man and the woman and Christ and the church. They would say, well, Christ is the source of the church. Out of Christ's work, the church was born. So when when Paul is saying that Christ is the head of the church, he's just saying he's the source of the church. This is A very famous argument now from, I would say, the soft feminism. Because you have a broad spectrum of feminism. Some people will just deny the scripture. And we'll try to answer this. But some people who said, we believe in the scripture, we believe that this is God's word, we believe that Paul is writing this, it's good for every time, and they they would deny the idea that a man is the head of the house in terms that he has a higher authority, or he's the one who's responsible, the one who should protect, the one who should provide, the one who should lead. They will deny this. And they will, as I said, they will talk about the headship as being a source. But, but let's go again to the text and think, does Paul talk about the head as a source? Is this what he means? If we go again in, in Ephesians 5:22, wives submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is the subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. And the question here is, how can you argue for submission? How can you explain the word submission if the word head only means the source? If the man as a head is just the source, then what does it mean for a woman to submit to the source? You do, you do not submit to the head as a source. You submit to the head as a leader. This is the way we use the word submit. You submit to the leaders. So the, the use of submission is meaningless if we interpret the word head here as a source. There is no escape from understanding the word head as a leader. If you want to make sense of the word submit, it wouldn't make any sense otherwise. And if we think of the relationship between Christ and the church, for Christ to be the head He's not just the source of the church. He's he's the head of the church. That is, he's the one who has authority of the church. He's the one who guides the church. And the scripture is full of text to show that Christ is is the one to whom the church should submit to. He's the one who gives leaders. He's the one who gives pastors and elders. He's the one who feeds the church. He's taking care of the church. He protects the church. This is not the work of a head just as a source. It's the work of a head as the leader of the church. The one who has the authority over the church. And even if you go to the Old Testament, you know in the Old Testament, which is written in Hebrew, there is a famous translation of the Old Testament. We call it the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of of the Hebrew Old Testament. And in many places, the word head, the same word is used in places in the Old Testament to point to people who have authority, who are leaders of the, of the people or of the tribes, not just the source of it. The word source would not make sense. Yes, there are some places where the word head means source, but most of the time, the word head would come to mean the leader. I'll give you maybe two instances in second samuel 22 it says of samuel of of, uh, of david second samuel 22 verse 44 thou also hast delivered me from the strivings of my people thou hast kept me to be head Of the heathen. And he's using the same word, head. And when he, David is saying this, he's not talking about himself being the source of the heathen, right? It can be. But to have authority over them. And he's using this word. First Kings 8, speaking of the tribes of Israel, then Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes. The chief of the fathers of the children of Israel. The heads of the tribes. These are, these are not the sources of the tribes. They are the leaders. So the word head in the scripture, when, especially when it speaks about a person who have other people under his authority, means leadership. And what is expected is submission. And this is the language that Paul is using in Ephesians chapter 5. You can't escape this. That Christ is the head of the church as the man is the head of his wife. This is the picture. This is, the, this, this is God's design that God made from the very beginning. And if you remember from last talk, we said this design was not a result from the fall. It was there before the fall. They are created like that. They are created to reflect the relation between Christ and the church. But then comes the question. What does it mean for the man to be the head then, to be the leader? Because those who are reacting against the leadership of men, they say there's a lot of abuse of leadership. And sometimes because of this abuse, which I have seen a lot, especially in the Middle East, they overreact and they say, no leadership, we are the same. We're equal in every way, in the, in the value and in the roles. No, it's not the solution. The abuse of leadership should not lead us to refuse the idea of leadership. Sometimes our overreaction against an abusive hardship would make some people to say, no headship at all. And this is not the solution. This is not the solution. But as we read in Ephesians What kind of headship the Word of God is teaching us? For the man, uh, there, there are at least three things that we can see. First of all, it's a servant leadership. A servant leadership. This is what it means for a man to be a man. A servant leadership. A servant leader. Let's go again to verse 25. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church. And gave himself for it. And the key word for me here is the word loved. This is what it means for him to be a head. The head is the one who loved, the one who surrendered himself, he's the one who took the initiative, he came forward. And he did this for someone or for a church that did not deserve this. In fact, the church did not even plan to get herself redeemed. So the first principle for a head is that he is the initiator. And practically speaking, when you think of Some two persons getting married. Whom do you expect to initiate the relationship? To step forward and make a proposal for marriage? The famous image of the West that we don't have in the East when a man would step on his knees and get the ring and ask the question, Would you marry me? A beautiful image. And I would say beautiful here because we see the man, the head, initiating the proposal. This, this is one of the things to mean, to be the head. You are the one who initiates the relationship. You are the one who comes forward. And this is what Christ has done. His love was not a reaction. It was an action. He's the one who begins the relationship. Not only begins the relationship, he even surrendered his life. He put his life for this relationship. So, as a leader, it was not just a privilege. In fact, primarily, it was not a privilege, it was a burden, it was a responsibility. This is what it means for someone to be a true leader, generally speaking, and definitely in the marriage. You are the one, as a man, who acts, not the one who reacts. Christ is taking the lead to save his bride. And notice he did not just plan for this to happen, he acted. See what he says? He loved the church, not just by words. He gave himself for it. He poured his life for that. And we have many pictures in the Bible where Christ is showing us his leadership. Of course, the ultimate picture is the cross. But even think of this day when Christ, in John 13, took the initiative as the leader, as the head and got a towel and he stood up and he started to wash the feet of his disciples. And remember what did he tell them on that day? If I am the Lord, the teacher, the Lord did this to you. You do this to each other. And think think of this. None of the disciples on that day hesitated to think that while Christ is on his knees washing their dirty feet stopped to be or he, he, he does not or he does not become the leader anymore or he ceased to be the leader anymore because he's washing their feet. None of them felt like that. They knew that he was the Lord. As he was washing their feet. In fact, Christ was showing them what does it mean to be a servant leader. Washing their own feet. So do we expect men and women to serve each other in marriage? To give themselves for each other? Definitely. Both of them. However, this does not contradict the fact that men is the one who should initiate the relationship. He is the one who should have this servanthood, leadership. He's he's even ready to put his life on the stake for his wife's sake. I would die for her. This is what it means, or one of the things for a man to be a man, to serve, to, to even be able to put his life for his wife and his family. But this is not the only meaning that Paul is referring to here, for someone to be ahead, for a man to be ahead. The second thing, he's the one who protects. He protects the church, that protects his wife. And, and we see this in Christ. Christ is the one who protects his bride. And how did he protect her? Again, verse 25. Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. And what does it mean for Christ to give himself for the church? Or let me ask it in another way. Why did Christ give himself for the church? Because the church without Christ's sacrifice would die. Would perish Persian hell, he redeemed us from the curse of the law by being a curse for us. Without Christ, move without Christ's death, what would happen to the bride? She would be devoured. She would die. And Christ protected the church. And what was the cost for him? To protect the church His life And again Husbands are called to protect Their wives By their lives You, you may ask me What do you mean Practically speaking What does this mean And I, I'll, I'll point to two things I would say The man Is responsible as a head To protect his wife Physically Physically So The one who is responsible For a healthy house Is the man The one who Need to be sure That his wife is healthy That there is no sickness that is Threatening her life Or her health Of course for the children as well Is the man it's not, it's not like I will take care of my own health and she should take care of her own health and that's it. We, we are living as partners and everyone should take care of his own health. There is, a, there is a truth to this, but the man is responsible. So if your wife's health is deteriorating, if your wife's health is getting worse because of any reason, sickness or extra work, this is your fault. You're the one who should protect your wife and your children? The one who should secure protection for the lives from sicknesses. I have heard this illustration many times. Think of this as you are sleeping in your bedroom and suddenly you hear in the backyard someone's trying to get in a thief. Who do you think should step up very quickly from the bed first? If you hesitate to answer this question, it would be a problem. Right? We know the answer. And if we were talking about that, and a woman would be the, fir- the one to step ahead, to, to deal with this thief or to shoot him, what we would do? We will laugh, right? Why? Because this is not the expected thing from the wife. It's expected from the man to do what? To step. To step up. To be a man. What does it mean to be a man? To protect. Protect your wife. Protect your children. Even if your wife has a black belt in karate or martial arts. I would still expect the man to step up and to be maybe beaten almost a dead body before she would interact and do something else with her gifts in karate or whatever. Still I would expect a man to step up to protect his wife to protect his children. Why? Because he's the man. Because he's the head. And this is not a cultural issue. God created us like that to give the picture of Christ and the church. Christ protected the church with his own life, and he still protects the church now. He is the one who protects the church from its enemies from sin, from Satan, from the evil people. He's the one who protects his church, and this is what is expected from men to protect their families. So far I spoke only of the physical protection, but this is not the only protection that is expected from the man. Christ protects the church not just from terrorists, not just from physical destruction. The protection that is expected from a man in his house, in the family, is a spiritual protection. Spiritual protection. So, the man is the most responsible person to pray for his family. I'm not saying that the woman should not pray. Of course, everyone in the family should pray. But the one who should pray for his family, for God's protection, is the man. The man is the one who should protect his family from all false ideas that may creep to the house. So, you should know what, what do your children read. What do they watch? What kind of movies? What kind of uh, friends do they have? You can't say, well, I'm busy at work. No. You're the head. You should know. And if you see some danger, you would say, no. We have to stop this. We have to change this. We have to change this school. We have to close this account. We have to stop this relationship with these friends. It's your job as a man to protect your family. As a father, you should protect your children, your daughters. So, for instance, if you see your daughters or your wife not dressing modestly in a modest way, You should speak up. You should say, this is not appropriate. Why? Because you are the head. You should protect. Because you understand how men are looking for women. How would they perceive women if they don't dress in a modest manner? This is what it means to be a man. To be a head. To protect. To protect spiritually, physically. This is what is expected from a man. And, and you take the initiative to do this. You set the standards for the house. This is what we are going to do. This will be the limits of our relationships. Uh, how we make friends, how we raise our children. Which community are we going to stay in? Which church are we going to join? Protection. Of course, you are not doing this alone. The mother, the wife is involved in all these decisions. But the, the one who is responsible for this, ultimately, is the man, being the head. So, we saw now the protection. But this is not the only, or this is not the only roles now for the men. Another important role we read in Ephesians 5 is verse 28 and 29. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. And think of this picture. He that loves his wife loves himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherished even as the Lord the church. As a head, you provide for your family. You care for your family. You provide for them. You nourish your family. This is what Christ is doing for the church. Christ is is nourishing the church. As Christ is nourishing the church, men should nourish and cherish his wife. See verse 29 again. But nourishes and churches it even as the Lord the church. How does the Lord church the church, nourish the church? By the word. Every time you come here to listen to God's word being preached, this is Christ's nourishment. To send leaders, to send friends who are godly friends, giving you a word from God. This is nourishment. Even for you to hold your Bible and to pray and to understand what you are reading. This is nourishment from Christ. Christ is promising to nourish the church, to provide for her. And this is expected from the man. And again, physically and spiritually. Physically, the one who is responsible that your table would have food on it is the man. For your family to find food every day, Nourishment for their bodies. This is your responsibility. That's why it's expected from the man to be working for his family. To provide for his family. Yes, women can work and can help. But the main responsibility for provision is for the man as the head. This is what it means to be the head. And not only... Physically, in terms of food and drink, but also spiritually. The spiritual state of your family, their growth, is your responsibility. If you see a man, if you see a husband who's not taking care of his children, not giving them enough food, and they are weak, their physical bodies, they are getting weak, they get sick easily because they don't eat well, they don't have the right nutrients. What would you say about this husband? He's not a good father, right? Right? He's not a good husband. And the same applies for their spiritual food. If you see children who are not eating good food, spiritual food, this is your fault as a man. You are the one who is responsible to make sure that they are eating good food every day. We care very much to feed our children every day, right? To feed them physical food. To have breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And we may feel guilty. If we one day go back home late and think, well, I forgot to prepare food for my children. We hardly forget to prepare food for our children, right? We make sure to feed them physical food. What about the spiritual food? As a man, you're responsible. As the head of the house, that your children are eating well. Healthy food. Good books, good church, good preaching, good Sunday school. Maybe most of the time you may be at work or you are 10 hours working. This is not an excuse not to do family worship or not to feed your children. Maybe you will say, but this is not enough. True. Maybe they need more. and Maybe your wife has more time to give them. But you are the one who is responsible to ask your wife daily. Did you have spiritual food? Did you eat well? What are you studying? Buy good books for your wife. You read this and teach them while I'm away. The, the spiritual growth of your family, of your wife, of your children is your responsibility. This is what it means to be a man. Even your wife, of course your wife. Christ is nourishing the church, his body. And a man is also responsible for the spiritual state of his wife. I'm making sure that she is watching good things. She is listening to good things. And I care for her spiritual state. It's not that I only care for my spiritual life. I care for her spiritual life. I make sure that she reads well. She listens to good sermons. She goes to a good church. This is my responsibility. I am taking her to Christ as a priest. Think of these ideas of provision and protection. Think of a family that they do not have good protection and good provision. It is life-threatening. Right? Life-threatening. And if a man is not doing this role as a head, protection, and provision, there's a life threat for his wife and his children. The absence of these principles threat our lives, threat the lives of your wife and your family. And many families would be spiritually dead before physically dead. Because the heads are not doing their roles as heads. God is expecting from men to step up as heads. This is what it means for a man to be a head, to be the leader. And this is what the world needs. These are, this is what wives need. This is what children need. They need fathers. They need heads. That would step up as men, that would fight for their families, that would protect their families, that would provide for their families. This may sound very hard for men, right? It's putting a lot on their shoulders. True. It is. It, It is a sobering thought. And if you think of how Christ did it, oh, the standard that Paul is putting here in Ephesians 5 is so high. Christ died for the church. You may ask, can I do this? And putting our fallen state in mind, remembering as men our natural tendencies for selfishness, makes it even harder. And if I just come here to say, you should do this, you should do this, you should do this and leave you, I would be kind of deceiving you because no one of us can step up to this place as Christ did unless Christ himself enables us, give us the strength to do this that's why to be a leader of the house you you need to be someone who is on his knees before God asking for help confessing that in yourself you can do it on your own not just because of pressure from outside you but also because of the weakness that comes from within our sin, our selfishness but he is promising us Ask, and it shall be given. Ask, and it shall be given. Knock, and it shall be opened. If you lack wisdom to deal with your wife, with your family, ask, and it shall be given. On the other hand, I would speak to the women. Be careful not to be demanding as you talk to your husband about being a head. Don't go and say, look look what Paul is saying in Ephesians 5. This is what a head should do. Christ died for the church. This is what you should do for me and for the family. Trust me, this will not work. This will not make him to step up. He'll be convicted. He he knows that you're right. But this will not push him to step up. As we said, it must come from the heart. Remember, in the very beginning, to be ahead, you have to be, to initiate, to start, to have this spirit of initiation. And this comes from inside. It can be pushed. If it is pushed, it's fake. It will not last. And he will not, doing, he will not do it lovingly. This is not how Christ became ahead. Not because someone pushed him to be ahead. You can't push a man to be ahead. It must come from inside. And you know, who changed what is inside? It's God himself. So, if your husband is not stepping up as a head, first of all, pray for him. as God to do something in his life. Of course, there is a place for you to talk to him. But not to talk in a way that is very of convicting, demanding. This will not solve it. And I'm talking to you as a man. A man doesn't like to be a man because someone told him you should be a man. It doesn't work. Talk to him gently maybe you can open your heart to him after you pray and speak at the right time with the right manner not putting your hope in him but in god and this takes me to the woman what does it mean for a woman for a woman to submit because paul is saying Paul is not just talking to men here. He begins in 22. Wives, women, submit yourselves unto your husbands as unto the Lord. And what a commandment. As unto the Lord. And the word submission may may, may sound annoying to many, especially women. If you remember what we said last time, the punishment, the punishment that God brought to the woman is that she will be struggling with the headship. She will be struggling with the authority, and you have, as a woman, you have to put this in your mind: that naturally, because of the fall, women don't like to submit. Apart from Christ, apart from the gospel, women don't like to submit. And don't 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 think when I say women don't like to submit that they they are always act as rebels. Sometimes. The refuser of submission would be a silent refusal. That you would do what your husband is saying with a bitterness in your heart. Grudging. Murmuring. Because I'm weak, I can't answer him back. I can't fight back. I have no other option to live except by obeying. This is not submission. This is not what Paul is talking about. This is not how the church is submitting to Christ. The church is not submitting to Christ because she has to or because she's afraid. This is not submission. So we need to put this in mind. As as woman, you need to put this in mind. This is not submission. And know that this is against your natural tendency because of the fall. I'm not saying that this is uh, a flaw in the design of woman. No, it was the curse of the fall. You remember we, what we said in Genesis 3? God told Eve, you will long to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And we, told, we said that you will long to your husband, you will, you will long to rule over him, but you will not be able. This is the curse of the fall. So remember, put this in mind. That's why Paul is saying in Ephesians to the woman, Submit. This is this is the problem of our heart, submission. So what does it mean in details to submit? Before saying what does it mean to submit, let's first explain what submission is not. Because many times we misunderstand the concept of submission. Let's go to First Peter chapter three, a very great passage on Submission. And I read a few verses there from First Peter 3. Likewise, likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. Submit to your own husbands. That if any obey not the word of your husbands, he means... They also may, without the word, be won by the conversation of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. Whose adorning, these wives whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of blating the hair and of wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, are not afraid with any amazement. First of all, Peter is telling the wives here to submit to their husbands, and he's not saying submit to all men. He's not ordering women to submit to all men. Her submission to be to her husband, unparalleled. But now let's, let's see how Paul speaks of women before we understand what it means to be submissive. He's saying in verse five. These women, or from verse from verse three, they are adorning themselves, but not outwardly. Why? What? Why do? Why does Paul say? Uh, Peter says this because some women try to protect themselves to rule to have kind of control through the outer beauty. This is what they care for. This is what may, may give me some strength. This, this is my weapon. The gold, the plating of the hair, putting on apparel. And Peter is saying, this is, not, this, this is what should not be your rock. This is not what should you put your trust in. Your beauty. Your adornment, external adornment. I have seen this a lot. And as women grew older, they would be more careful about how they look like. They try to keep their beauty as much as they can because they know that their value, their strength their impact, their influence is connected to their external beauty. And when they start to lose it because they can't fight against time, they fall into despair. Because the thing that they used to hang on, to, to rely on, is falling apart. But see what Paul is saying here? Let it be the hidden man of the heart. This is what you should depend on. Which is not corruptible, the ornament of the meek and quiet spirit. For after this manner, in the old time, the holy women also, and listen to this, who trusted in God. This is where they rely on God Himself. They trusted Him, they trusted God, they trusted His promises. They are facing problems. They are facing family problems. They are having hard husbands. See, verse 1, they are people who are not obeying the word. Unbelievers, unchristian. Real troubles. I can tell a wife, a woman, there is nothing worse than to have an unchristian husband and you are a Christian. Very hard, very challenging. And Peter is telling these wives in such situation, submit. How can I do this? What can I rely on? They trusted in God. I'll come to this again. They are women who are hoping in God. They are not depending on their external beauty. They are not afraid of the future. They are not relying on their beauty and their weapons, if I may say, for their future. But the meek spirit, submission, submissive to their husbands. But let's go again and see what does he mean by not submitting or what, does he, what, what doesn't he mean by submitting. First of all, submission doesn't mean that you obey your husband in everything. And what do I mean by everything? First of all, verse 1 says, you are a believer as a wife, and he is not, right? So you are not obeying him, you are not following your husband in that. For a wife who has a husband who is not Christian, who is not following the, the Word, who is not loving the Word, she should not follow him on this. Because we have another commandment. You should obey God above all men, even your husband. So the first thing is that you do not agree with your husband, you do not submit to your husband if he's ordering you, if he's commanding you to do something that's against God's will. If your husband is telling you, steal, kill, sin. You will not do this. Because you have a greater master to submit to, which is God. A husband and wife would be in the same church. They are not unbelievers. They are are not believers, excuse me. And they are hearing the same sermon. The husband can get out and say, No. Still the same. But a wife, the Lord can open her heart. Submit to the word, and since then, she's, she's not following her husband in his unbelief. So, when, Paul, when Peter is saying, Submit to your husbands, or when Paul is saying, Submit to your husbands, he's not talking about everything, and for instance, that uh, the spiritual state. The second thing, which is not submission, which is not meant by submission it doesn't mean that you do not make every effort to change your husband. If your husband persists in unbelief and you you became a believer, but you should submit to your husband, you will not say, well, I am not in a position to lead. So I will not do anything for his spiritual life. May God intervene. I'll just care for my own spiritual life. And God help. In fact, Peter is saying... Your submission has a goal. What is the goal? That if any obey not the word of your husbands, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. Peter is encouraging the wives. You work hard so that your husbands may also believe. You try to bring the word to them. You try to open the word to them. You try to point them to God. And he's saying here your submission to him has an aim to change him. So submission is not just to ignore him or not to lead him in this area. The third thing is that as a wife who submits to her husband this doesn't mean that you do not if your husband is not a believer that you would say he's not a believer he is the head he should nourish he should nourish me and he is not then i have nothing to do no you should take care of your own spiritual life as a christian wife you should not be just dependent on your husband to feed you spiritually even if your husband is a christian and he's not doing a good job in terms of spiritual nourishment this is not an excuse you should work hard for your spiritual life Listen to good sermons. Go to a good church. Have a good fellowship. Wake up early and open your Bible and read. And pray. And you know what? Here you are in a luxury. You can go to some countries where there is no access to good preaching, to good churches. But here you can open your phone and you can listen to a good sermon. At least... Even if your husband is trying to push you not to go to a meeting or something like that. We have lots of blessings here. And, wives, you have lots of opportunities for your spiritual nourishment. Don't just rely on your husband. Don't say, if my husband is doing a good job in this, I will do nothing. No. You are responsible. Because this woman, the hope in God, the trust in God, not in her husband. Don't, don't put your hope in your husband. Hope in God. This is what Peter is saying here. They are depending on God. They are trusting God. Fourthly, what is not submission? It is not out of fear. And, and remember this. A Christian wife is a free wife. And what does it mean to be a free wife? You are submitting not because your husband is stronger than you and he pushes you to submit. Or because the pastor or the minister said so from the church. Well, I have to. I don't want to, but I have to. This is not submission. If submission is not coming from the heart, happy submission, it's not submission. True submission is the submission of the church to Christ. And when, when a wife submits to her husband, I'm talking to a wife who would have a Christian husband or non-Christian husband. Some, some people would say, well, I will submit when he loves. I will, I will only submit to a Christian husband, to a good husband. Or they would say, well, she can't submit because his hus- her husband is not good enough. He's a not a godly man. But this, this text is speaking out an unchristian husband. Let the wives, likewise ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any, obey not the word. The whole context of Peter Peter in the previous chapter He's telling the Christians Submit to the leaders To the governors To those who are in authority Even the non-kind people Submit to them If God put them in your, in your way In a place of authority over you You submit to them As Christ submit Freely And by the way When when we talk about the word submission, we need to think, when can we submit if this submission is a true submission or not? It will become clearer when conflicts take place. If your husband is always saying things that you like, uh, things that you agree with all the time, and you say, okay, we'll do this, this is not submission. You like that already. When, when would submission be tested to be true submission? When your husband is deciding to do something, he's taking, going to a certain direction, and you don't like that? You don't feel that this is the right thing to do? But happily, you would affirm his leadership on submission. Happily. And every time I read this text, especially verse 6. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. If you go back to Genesis 18 and see how Sarah did this. It was not a case when Abraham told Sarah, Sarah, I need some food. And she said, yes, Lord. This was not the case in Genesis 18. In fact, Sarah was behind a veil in the tent. She was alone and between her own self. As she was sitting or standing with her own self, she called Abraham, my Lord. What does this mean? She respected him as a leader, as the head, when she is alone. Alone. This is how she perceived her husband. Submission is what you think of your husband when you are alone in your heart. And we, if we put this in the light of the fall, of the curse, apart from the gospel, apart from God's promises, apart from trusting God, this is impossible for a woman. That's why the key phrase here who trusted in God, if a woman does not trust in God that what he says is true, that this is the right thing to do, that this is is for her good, for the good of the family, she will never be able to do this. If she doesn't see the relation between Christ and the church and how the church is submitting to Christ, she will never be able to do this. Apart from the gospel, there is no chance to do this. Submission is that a wife in her own heart, happily, would affirm the leadership of her husband. That she would help him to complete his task as a leader of the house, as a head of the house. And she would be happy to do this. And think of the first picture in Genesis 2. God created Adam first. He gave him an assignment. I want you to work the garden and to protect the garden. Brett brought the animals to him. Named the animals. He named them. He has a mission. He has a work to do. But then what the text says about creating Eve. God made Eve for him as a helpmate or a help fit. He created someone to help him equal to him in value. But her main role is to help him, to support him, to accomplish the mission given by God. No matter where this mission is, no matter how, what this role is, this is the main role of a wife. To support her husband, to affirm his leadership, to walk with him. It's amazing. When when you read the story of Isaac and Rebecca and he's going back to the Canaan, I will go with him. I'm thinking of Abraham. God called Abraham. Abraham, leave your family. Leave your house. And go where I'll show you. And Sarah, I'll go with you. On the other hand, I may be a little speculating, but it's significant. Think of Lot and his wife. Some commentators would say the reason that Lot stayed in Sodom and Gomorrah was that his wife insisted to stay in Sodom and Gomorrah. Because we we have some hints on this. Lot first chose Sodom and Gomorrah. The text doesn't say that his wife, he chose it. But then a big trouble happened to Lot. Right, He has been taken into captivity in chapter 14. And then the Lord sent Abraham. Abraham went and saved Lot and his family. And you would expect after this what would happen, that Lot would return back with Abraham. But he did not. He returned to Sodom and Gomorrah. And he stayed there till the Lord burned it. But remember what happened after it was burned? The angel said, do not look back. But someone looked back. His wife looked back. She was holding back to Sodom and Gomorrah. And it seems she influenced her, her husband in a bad way. But if you see the godly woman in the scripture, they are affirming their husband's leadership. They are following them. They are helping him. They are helping him to complete the tasks according to the talents, to the gifts that the Lord gave her as a wife. And she would do this happily, knowing that this is my role that the Lord gave me to do. And I appreciate this. You know, uh, I'm glad that my wife is here. It's good to talk about these things while while she's here. And uh, whenever she hears other women who are trying to say, it's not good for a wife just to be a a wife and a a mom in the house. You should be like your husband and do exactly what he does. Have a successful job, have a successful career. And uh, you're like him in every way. You just stay at home? You just raise the the kids? Of course, I'm not saying that women should not work. Of course, there's a place for this. But let's say there's only... Her work would be to to help her husband and to raise the children. So when my wife would hear this, she gets very angry. Because she says, they are belittling what I'm doing. They think what I'm doing is, is... of no value. How dare they do this? They do this. I'm doing a full-time job. I'm raising my children. I'm taking care of my house. And this is the role that the Lord gave me. How dare you think that this is a little thing? I think this is the way that someone would trust God, trust the role, the rules, rules given by God. And remember this, that this submission is examined when conflicts takes, take place. As I close, I will quote something from uh, John Piper about what does it mean to be ahead uh, for a wife. And I, would, I intentionally am closing with the man again because he's the man. And I will connect this with Christ and the church. It's amazing how the book of Revelation is, is picturing Christ for us. He is picturing him as a lion and as a lamb at the same time. And this is what our true husband, a true head of the house is. He's a lion protecting his husband, his his wife, protecting his house. He's a strong, not on his wife and his children, but for them. He's a lion. But at the same time, he's a lamb. Meek, ready and happy to sacrifice his life for his wife. And this is what Christ has done to the church. He's our lion, the lion from the tribe of Judah. And he's the lamb of God. Who took our sin and died to protect us, to provide for us? This is what it means to be, a woman, and this is what it means to be a woman, to support the man to accomplish his role as a head. Let's let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful image of Christ and the Church. This perfect marriage, perfect relationship to which we all look unto as husbands, as wives, as young men, as young women, getting ready uh, to make this picture seen before this world, this world that is trying to pervert this picture. Lord, we pray that we hold fast your truth. That we would be always eager to show this beautiful image of Christ and the church in a world that is against this picture. Lord, keep us Faithful, holding fast to your word. We confess, O oh Lord, that in our strength we can fulfill our roles neither as heads nor as help meets but by your grace by showing us the love of Christ and the submission of the church by changing our hearts by enabling us to trust God, to hope in God and His promises. We pray that we would be enabled to love and to submit as Christ loved the church and as the church submit to Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I hope there will be time for questions. I don't know if there are time of co- for questions or not well i took too long that's <laughs> it's a good sign or it's a very bad sign yes As we said, this is where submission is really tested, right? And by the way, let's think of Christ and the church. Sometimes, as believers, we struggle to submit to Christ, right? Because we think that this is the right thing to be done. This is how we think. Sometimes we think that this is the way it should be done. And we are, we are wrong on that. Uh, and eventually we may submit the hard way. So it's not always the case that we submit to Christ easily. Sometimes we, d- we do not submit, but then we discover that we should have submitted, even if it will be painful, if it, even if it, we will pay a price. So I would tell the wives, sometimes submission will cost a price. It will cost you a price. But according to the word Submission is more precious than doing what you think is right. Because think of this, let's say there was a decision and you insisted not to submit to your husband. Because this is the right thing to do. And you, you found that this was the right thing to do. But think of how would the relationship would look like between the husband and wife afterwards, after this. Think of the break that will take place. Think of the lack of trust that will be in the house after that. Think of how the husband himself will perceive the whole picture. It will not be as easy as, you were right and we should have done this from the beginning, right? And for the future, this will not be uh, the the pattern. He will always be hesitant. He will lose his self-confidence, right? Right? And eventually he may not be initiative any, anymore. And you'll find the roles are being turned around. I'm not saying that she would not discuss it with him. She would discuss it, she'll try to convince him. But at the end of the day, she should not be that pushy. That no, we must do this. Otherwise, I'm out of here. Uh, and she'll be happily doing this. And if things turn to be Bad After they follow his way. She should not be kind of telling him, I told you this was wrong. You should listen to me later on. No. This is not the way submission works. And think again of what Peter said. Submit to your husbands who are not believers. So he's expecting struggles. He's expecting uneasy going husbands. Yet he is saying, submit, trusting in God, trust God. So as long as the husband is not, telling her not, uh, is not telling her to sin, to do something against God's will, I think she should submit. And of course, again, I'm not saying that she will not negotiate, she will not talk, but as a supportive person. And in some situations, there is no place for discussions, Right? You are in a place and you have to to make a decision very quickly. And you are different. In these situations, it should be clear. Well, we will follow his lead, that's it. Happily, we will do this. Of course, it's not as easy as I'm saying, but... Any other questions? (laughs) Yes We're all struggling, we're still struggling All of us, right? I think It has to do with the rules So How the love of the husband To his wife is different from Love of the wife to the husband Yes Generally speaking, right? So this is the question. How, how is the love of the husband to his wife is different from the love of the wife to her husband? There are similarities and there are differences. Similarities, love in its simplest meaning is self-sacrifice, right? Giving to the other. So both they should serve each other lovingly, willingly. However, the husband's love, as I said, it will be sacrificial leadership. He's initiating for her well-being all the time. He's protecting her. As I said in the illustration, I would not expect from the wife as a loving wife to protect her husband. Right? Sometimes it, it happens, but most of the cases it will be the husband who will protect, he will provide. And I think the best expression of The wife's love to her husband is to reverence him and to affirm his leadership. And it's interesting. It's interesting that when Paul talked about the roles in Ephesians 5, he used the word love particularly to the man. And he used the word reverence and submission only to the woman. It doesn't doesn't mean that the man should not have reverence to his wife. And it doesn't mean that the wife should not love her husband. But if you ask me, what is the, the real struggle for women? It will be submission. And if a woman is not submitting or is not, she's not showing reverence to her husband, I would say she's not loving him. And at the same time, thinking of husbands, his main struggle is to love his wife. He's not telling him, submit to your wife. He's not expected to submit to her. His love to her has nothing to do with submitting to her or giving her the leadership. In fact, he should lead. This is what it means to love. And why he is telling husbands particularly to love? Because we are struggling with selfishness. Not just with selfishness, we are struggling with power abuse as men, or we are struggling with withdrawing, not to have the initiative. We are struggling of stepping back. This is, this is what men are struggling with. We, we like to go to our cave, as we said last time, and hide, and go fishing, and go to play soccer, or to play golf, to hang out with friends. Love means a lot. That you would sacrifice this nice time with your friends, golfing or fishing, and you would help your wife uh, cleaning the house, or preparing the house, or preparing a meal for someone who's coming. Sacrificial love. Uh, Studying with the children. So he's he's providing for his family, he's protecting for his family, he's taking care of his family. This is love for a man. I hope I answered. In the Middle East do you see the same breakdown of the rules or is the culture different? I can preach the same thing anywhere in the world, I think. Because if you ask me what is the problem of men in Egypt? Power abuse. They would hit their wives, beat them. I think this is happening here. And the other thing that men would do is withdrawal. So if you come to Egypt, this is a very bad thing. If you come to Egypt at, at 6, 7 p.m., people stay late. You'll find we have cafes in the streets. Something like Starbucks, but more local. And it is full of men. No women. Full of men. They're playing games, playing cards, playing chess, dominoes, watching uh, uh, matches, soccer matches. And for them, this is what it means to be a man. So he would go back from work 5 p.m., have a quick meal, and then I'm going to hang out with my friends. And what do you want me to do? You say to the kids, you cook. I'm a man. And if she says, I have a problem, the, the, the children are fighting, we have a financial problem, solve it. So he's withdrawing, not doing his role. This is big. And I think it's the same here. They may not go to cafes, but they would have their own caves, their own comfort zone where they would hide in, right? Men, they love to do this. They would go play games, PlayStation, whatever. And women, is the same. In Egypt, feminism is growing. And we are the same. We are equal in everything. Why? Because they are sick of the power abuse. And because this is, this is the natural tendency after the fall. They don't like to submit. Or they would obey their husbands out of fear. He's the one who's working. I can provide for the family. I have to obey him for the sake of the house, for the sake of the, the food, uh, to avoid... Uh, any scandalous situation among the people. uh, Out of fear, they would submit. Muslim women, they would submit because they they don't want their husbands to have a second marriage. Because a Muslim man can have four marriages. So she would submit to him, she would do whatever he, he wants to avoid this bitterness of having a second wife. Not because she loves him. Apart from the gospel, there is no chance to submit love on me. No chance. I would say, apart from Christianity, marriage is impossible. True marriage, I mean, is impossible. Any last question or something? Okay. Thank you.